Hello, everyone, and welcome to Artifacts. I'm your host, Marissa Dickens, and today's guest is Assistant Art Conservator with the Toledo Museum of Art, Marissa Stevenson. Hi. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I feel a special kin to someone who was also named Marissa, so. <laughs> right. We're a rare breed, so. Yes, yes. <laughs> So I discovered your role with the Toledo Museum through an exhibition last year, The Art of Conservation, which I thought was a really interesting exhibit. So you see the conservators work and while they're working, you can ask them questions. And I loved it. I don't know who was there at the time, but I was asking questions. I'm like, I have to have an art conservator on my podcast because, you know, you go to museums so often and you see all these wonderful works, but it's like, you have to maintain and treat them and preserve them because They've been around forever. And so I wanted to have you on just to talk about your journey. And specifically, you work in textiles, which I think is a really interesting medium that people often don't like acknowledge as art in a museum. I'm excited to hear more yes. about your journey. This is so great. I'm very excited to be here too. So yes. Are you from Toledo or where are you from? Yes, so I am a Toledo native. I actually was born in Toledo, but grew up in Oregon, so by the lake area. I've lived most of my life here, but moved for various internships and for graduate school and then came back uh, after grad school. So. So, So growing up, can you pinpoint one of your earliest exposures to art? You know, I think I have two kind of distinct memories, very young memories. I was very much a child that liked Sesame Street. (laughs) So there was one particular kind of like special or movie and it was called Don't Eat the Pictures. And the whole crew goes to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and they kind of get locked in there. And that was kind of my first exposure to museums as an entity and what they did. I very vividly remember this. And so that was kind of my first introduction When I was in kindergarten, though, too, we also went to a natural history museum that had, you know, dinosaur bones and all those things. So museums as an institution or, you know, a place that uh, preserves collections was something that was kind of always festering in the back of my life. But um, it wasn't until much later that I understood it as more than just, um, you know, Sesame Street or (laughs) dinosaurs. So (laughs) how did you even get exposed to like conservation and the idea because not many people know about it when they're young you know it's not really talked about I feel like right you know I honestly can't pinpoint where I figured this out at I was always interested in art history and museums you know I think through movies and things like that I was kind of exposed to the profession especially when I was um, becoming interested in art conservation there wasn't a lot out there about the profession in general what ended up really happening is I got a uh, art history degree um, my undergraduate degree is in art history and I started working in environmental science though as this other kind of side life that I had and One day I just kind of realized I could put these things together, uh, the science aspect and the art historical aspect, because I wasn't sure I wanted to do something that was maybe just sitting at a desk all day. I wanted something a little more tactile, something that I could use also, you know, your artistic side that's kind of plays a part into what we do. I can't pinpoint a time, but one day it just was like, Oh yeah, I think this is what I'm going to do. So, <laughs> the two disciplines. I have to ask with art history, did you have to have like a certain focus with what you were studying and what classes you took? 
Well, for the first leg of my life, when I was in my undergraduate, I did not know I wanted to be an art conservator. I just got very lucky that I took the right classes for the most part. So to train as an art conservator, you do have to have a strong background in art history or um, science of some sort. And then you also have to have studio art classes. So it's kind of a a combination of all of those three disciplines because the art studio art, they want you to be able to understand the techniques of the artist, how things were made, techniques that they use, good eye, you know, hand skills and being able to translate what you're seeing onto an artwork or recreate something. And so those are kind of the three main things you have to have. And then of course, chemistry as well. And then typically you will apply to various art conservation schools. You have to do some pre-program training first as well. And then once you get into graduate school, which is only about five schools in the country, it's yeah, oh, <laughs> it's pretty competitive. So there's about five schools. About each school takes about 10 people every year. So it's pretty limited. So you have to have a lot of training before you go and you try to do all that before you apply. And then once you're in school, you'll decide on a specialty. So that's I work in fashion textiles. My colleagues are objects conservators. There's paintings conservators, uh, works on paper, uh, book conservators, you know, wooden artifacts. There's electronic media now, which is really helpful. Yeah, so we have a lot of works that are uh, digitally based now. So we have to understand how those components work and how we need to preserve those as technology moves forward. So that is a new specialty as well. So that's interesting. Um, so then when you're in school, you uh, determine what specialty you'll go in. Um, sometimes you have to do that beforehand. Um, I went to the Fashion Institute of Technology for my master's degree, which their program is just strictly fashion and textiles. So clearly I needed to know that's what I wanted to pursue. But some of the other schools have um, the other specialties, kind of depending on which school you go to. So. so what is art conservation? If you can explain it to someone who does not know anything, how would you explain it in the simplest terms? I think the simplest way to describe it is really just the long-term preservation of cultural artifacts, basically trying to reduce any sort of chemical or physical deterioration or damage or just even loss of like uh, historical context or information about the art, the artwork itself. So we work from a code of ethics. So that's part of our profession is there's a very much an ethical code and guidelines in which we work um, to make sure we are doing right by the artwork. It's very similar to medicine, you know, in medicine, they have the phrase of like, do no harm. And that's really something that translates to art conservation. One of my earliest mentors, Jim Craven, who worked at the University of Michigan, I, I worked in the book conservation lab there. Um, he had on the wall, which I really loved, he said, you know, if you can't fix it, don't mess it up for someone who can. So, you know, we have to know our limits into our knowledge and what we know. And that's part of this like ethical code and doing no harm to the object. So can you talk about the process of from the beginning, you see, like, how do you determine like a piece of art needs work? And then what treatment techniques, it probably depends on what the work it needs. And then just for how long and just the whole process, because I don't even know. Yeah. I mean, you know, it definitely is 
a long kind of procedure. We don't do anything kind of haphazardly, right? So we there's a lot of thought and care that goes into every you know move we make, any treatment we do, anything we do to the physical object itself. There's quite a long kind of process we go through. So not only are we visually inspecting the work, so that's probably the first step. One of the earliest kind of methods I learned was to sit with the object and don't take any notes. Just sit and look at the object for like 20, 30 minutes, as long as you need to really sit with the object because you will see so much just by visually inspecting it. So that's kind of your first line of treatment or, you know, observation. And then after that, we do a lot of kind of diagnostic work as well. So in textiles, I do fiber microscopy. So I'll take small fiber samples of the textile that I'm working on and look at it under the microscope and visually looking at the fiber, you can look at the morphology, how it's, uh, what it looks like, how it performs under different types of light. I can determine what type of fiber that is. So is it cotton? Is it wool? Is it a synthetic? And that will inform how I move forward in the treatment and also just give us information about what we're looking at. Right. Mm -hmm. And so after that, we do all sorts of other things too. So we use ultraviolet light sometimes. Certain things will fluoresce differently under ultraviolet light. So uh, different adhesives or varnishes, those will fluoresce with different colors so we can identify them. Here at the museum, we have an XRF um, instrument. And so we'll use that to help identify different elemental components in an object. So I can use our instrument and it will determine, you know, is this cup? A silver cup or is it you know has other impurities that might tell us about the historical context of this work and then of course we also work with our curatorial team and that's super important to our work we run a lot of our treatment or procedures by them to make sure we're in line with the artistic intent of the artwork or the artist so we always want to make sure that we're not doing anything that's going to change the artwork in a way that the artist might not have wanted. So our curatorial team is very helpful in that fact to be the advocate for the artist. You know, another thing we do is we often do mock-ups. So we'll take, you know, we'll make something um, or I'll get a textile that has a similar context or uh, materiality and I'll kind of practice techniques on that before I actually apply it to the artwork. So we do a lot before we even touch the artwork. <laughs> so, I, I get it um, though. All of us here, we have the same goal. It's to preserve the artwork and also to, you know, uh, maintain the integrity of the artwork, uh, you know, whether we know the artist or not. You know, a lot of times these artists uh, historically are anonymous, especially in textiles. You know, a lot of textiles are based in women's work, which were typically not signed and not considered artwork for some time. So, you know, we want to make sure that we're representing them, even if we don't know who they are. So. Can you describe the difference between like art conservation versus restoration? Yeah, so it kind of varies depending on countries. The words can be a little interchangeable depending on what country we're talking about. So it can be a little difficult and dicey when it comes to that. But I will say in America, art conservators are typically more invested in the stabilization of the physical and chemical kind of composition of the work, rather than trying to make the artwork look more visually like it did when it was originally created. Some of our work will involve visually minimizing damage, 
our main focus is really stabilizing and not creating a new, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say you wouldn't wholesale go in and in paint every like giant area of loss. There's very specific ways that paintings conservators do that. We use very specific materials that are generally reversible. So most conservation treatments are reversible in some way. It's really taking preservation of an artwork from that standpoint, rather than a visual compensation standpoint. Mm -hmm. Not to say that we don't do that also, but in a different way. So that's very interesting. So how long on average, because I guess every piece is different, would it take you to do this? You know, it really does depend on the piece. And I often say our profession is very similar in thought process Mm -hmm. as medicine. So it really depends on the piece. So, you know, if I have allergies and you have allergies, you know, we may take different medicine because of how we are composed. The artwork is the same way. So even though we might be similar in some context, one artwork may need a specific type of treatment where another one would have something completely different, even though they're comparable in some way. Treatments can kind of vary depending on what they are, who's doing them, how long, you know, what you're focusing on. Textile specifically kind of takes some time because we're often working with individual threads or even sometimes individual fibers. So you can imagine if you have a deteriorated fabric that you just have, you know, the warp threads there and we're working with just those and trying to stabilize those and stitching them to secure them in some way, how long, you know, a very small area could take, but you have a very big textile. So, you know, you could, you could take a very long time right now. I'm working on um, just adding, you know, a Velcro strip to a coverlet that we have so we can hang it. So that's something, you know, we kind of consider that a little bit of treatment. So that doesn't take very long, you know, an Mm -hmm. hour or two. But then there's also treatments where we are, where I'm working on deteriorated silk that is completely kind of shattered into pieces. And I'm basically putting it back together, which is very similar to trying to like put together cornflakes, which is very hard. (laughs) And so it's very detailed process and to be very careful because you don't also want to create any more damage by working. So you have to work very slowly and methodically through what you're doing. Um, So that can take, you know, you know, a year or more, depending on what, you know, how big the object is or how complex the object is too. So it can vary quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess besides like them, like artworks just through time and getting older, what other conditions affect art? So there's quite a bit that affects art and you can kind of imagine from our own beings as well. Environment is really something very important to artworks maintain temperature and humidity so if you come to the museum you probably notice throughout the gallery there is a pretty even relative humidity and temperature throughout the galleries and that is for the safety of the artwork so huge fluctuations and either of those two things can be pretty damaging so you think about you know in the summer when it you know it gets really dry and your skin gets kind of dry and flaky and stuff it's Artworks the same way. So when things dry out, we can get flaking or brittleness, and that fluctuation is kind of just like bending 
you know, things back and forth and back and forth, eventually they're going to break, right? So we want to keep a very even environment here, you know, monitoring for all sorts of things, you know, insects, um, anything like that, making sure storage is adequate for the artwork as well. So when it's, you know, in storage and put away, are we using materials that are safe for the artwork? So, you know, cardboard boxes, like your typical Amazon box, not to poo-poo Amazon, but, you know, we wouldn't put artwork in a box like that, right? So there's boxes that have like quite a bit of acidity to them, and that can be really detrimental to an artwork. So that is something, you know, we use acid-free materials. We use, you know, different types of textiles. We use muslin fabric quite a bit that we wash with special pH neutral um, detergents. Also lighting, lighting is a huge thing. Certain things are super sensitive. So they either have visitor activated lighting. So when you walk into the room, the light comes on and then it turns off when you leave or it has the little curtains. So we have that too for a couple of our pieces that are particularly sensitive to light. So that's something we have to monitor all the time. So um, different types of work can be on display for certain amounts of time because of that kind of light accumulated light damage. So you'll notice textiles and fashion, you know, objects are typically only on display between about three to six months typically, and then they're rotated out. So those objects get rotated quite frequently because of potential fading or deterioration from light. So we monitor that too. Uh, We have to double check everything to make sure that we're at the right appropriate light levels. And that's really important too. So there's quite a bit that goes into, it's not just treating the artwork, but it's kind of caring for it holistically as well. Mm-hmm. It's just so funny because I go to museum as a spectator, as a visitor, and I'm like, oh, everything is perfectly placed. I get to wander around, but it's all carefully controlled and curated. <laughs> it very much is. There's a lot that happens behind the scenes, and it's really been fun to kind of clue in the public as to what happens behind, behind the closed door, you know? So the art of conservation exhibition that you came to was really part of showing the public how we care for these objects long-term and teaching people about the profession of conservation and how much fun it is. So, <laughs> and interesting. We're really excited about showing that again in the next upcoming exhibition too. Yes, yeah, so let's talk about this new exhibition. It's called State of the Art Revealing works from the conservation vault. Unlike the last one, Art of Conservation, we won't specifically be on display, the lab won't be on display, but what you're going to see is a group of objects that have been in storage for some time, and they are up for treatment. So we're going to talk about the types of treatment we're going to do to them, the different kind of interesting elements to them, different techniques that were used to make them, what the conservation process might look like for each of those, And then all of the artworks are also up for adoption. So we have this really wonderful adopt an artwork program where you can participate by adopting an artwork. You are help facilitate the preservation of that work. But one of the really exciting pieces that's going up for display uh, and up for adoption is the Libby spun glass dress. So we have this really unique glass dress that was made for the World's Fair in 1893 by the Libby Glass Company. And we have the only full ensemble, the bodice and the skirt, and we have the parasol as well. It's really important work and it's gonna be up for adoption. 
The adoption is very interesting because it's going to be crowdfunded. So everyone can participate in the preservation of this work. And I will be doing the treatment on that eventually. And um, it's gonna go through a couple phases because it's a pretty big project because it's made out of glass fibers. So it's glass threads that are probably like the size of your hair. It's very fine. And then it's woven with silk as well. So it's gonna be a very detailed project and it's gonna take some time, very important to history of fashion, to the Libby Glass Company, and also to this institution. As, as we know, we were founded by Edward Drummond Libby, the uh, founder of the Libby Glass Company. So it's going uh, to be very exciting. exciting. So please come see it. From like the last exhibit that you guys did, some of the takeaways from the public that you got from being out there and kind of working and people asking you questions. I mean, I think people find conservation really interesting because it is this combination of multiple areas of interest for people. And I think it's also a way to kind of have a more intimate relationship with the artwork. You learn so much more from visually seeing these things up close and how they're made. And it's kind of a little bit of detective work too, which is always, you know, really fun. And I think, you know, for me, the Art of Conservation exhibition was really fun because at that time, we were working primarily on a very large installation work, sculptural work by Marisol Escobar called The Party, which is currently at the Perez Museum, and but it's coming back right now, but then we'll go on, on loan for the, a retrospective regarding Marisol Escobar. So it's a pretty important piece that we have. It's the largest one she's done. And we were working on it in the space, and it was really fun to hear people's interest in her work and was so, you know, different for some people and exposing them to different types of artwork, but also just kind of the small details. Sometimes we were learning things along with them, you know, people are making suggestions as we're working. I'm like, you know what, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. You know, maybe that is what we're seeing. So we were all kind of making discoveries together a little bit. And that was really, really fun for us. And, you know, people from all different types of backgrounds were coming in too. There was a gentleman who was coming in who had background in dye production, like, you know, fabric dye production. And so, you know, that we had all these people with different backgrounds kind of coming in and sharing information they knew or, you know, stories about research they were doing or, you know, or started researching Marisol and would come back and, you know, I just read this and, you know, that's, you know, this piece over here. And, you know, it was, it was really fun to kind of, have um, this dialogue with the public because it gets people interested more too about the artists behind the work too you know and and a, and a female artist absolutely it was really interesting especially because Marisol Escobar amazing artist and I think a lot of people the general public maybe doesn't know that much about Marisol and she's was a very you know, forward-thinking artist. She was a carpenter working in wood and a time where women weren't really using that as a medium. So it was really exciting to expose her to the general public and how excited people were to learn about her work and experience, uh, you know, the work that we have. So do you find in your line of work, especially with textiles, do you think this medium is growing as far as seeing textiles in museum has always been around? Is it do you think it's undervalued in the world of art? What's your um, opinion and perspective yeah, on that? I, I think that textiles are definitely coming back to the forefront. They never really went away, but I think that unfortunately, historically, things that are associated with women's work typically did not get the same type of attention or limelight 
that you know, our male contemporaries may have had. So I think textiles are a great way of representing women and different cultures in artwork, you know, in museums as well. And I think they're kind of having a, a resurgence in institutions. So I think that's, you know, incredibly important. And we're seeing a lot more of that as we, uh, you know, institutions also diversify their collections, bringing in works from all sorts of different countries and um, cultures and things like that. So I think of work, uh, was it Bisa Butler? Is that, yes. Like that's, you know, oh, all her work. And I, I think I saw, I don't know, I think I was in Chicago when they were presenting a whole exhibition on her work. And I think there was a piece, is there a piece into the museum? Are there Yes, so we have an incredible piece by her. It is of Frederick Douglass. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a portrait piece. We acquired that a couple of years ago. She has had a couple different exhibitions, one in Chicago. And then, you know, we had her work on display here for a couple of different exhibitions regarding quilts. It's an incredible piece. It's probably one of my favorites in the collection for sure. It's very powerful work. And she works, in, you know, her medium is quilting um, and she uses an application technique to make her quilts uh, with this very long arm sewing machine. So it's, it's pretty incredible work. Uh, she uses different types of fabrics to create tonality within the, the portrait itself. So it's a really interesting way of using fabrics, sheer fabrics and layering them to create shadows and tones and, and things like that. So it's, it's pretty spectacular. Yeah. <sighs> Um, I also want to talk about that other exhibition that Toledo Museum had, the living the living legacies art of the African American South. It was all yes. it was like quilts, right? Mm -hmm. So it was quilts, but it was also other artworks. The objects on display were acquisitions from um, the Souls Grown Deep Foundation, which promotes African American artists in the Deep South, and part of the acquisitions that we received are you know um, were brought into the collection. We're a collection of quilts by the G's Ben artists. And we have, I think, I wanna say like nine or 10 now. They range from the 1930s all the way to, I think 2017 maybe. And so there's a quite a large range of works. They are just the most beautiful and spectacular quilts you'll ever see. They utilize, you know, typical working methods of quilting. So using fabric remnants from either, you know, the earliest one we see evidence of using flower bags. So back in the 1930s and 40s, it was common to manufacturers would print patterns on flower bags. And so the women would collect the different, you know, patterns or uh, different design motifs and create garments out of them or use them for quilting or anything like that. So you were not only getting your flower, but you were also getting, you know, some fabric to use too. So it was incredibly, you know, uh, resourceful type of textile arts. And, you know, with other uh, quilts in the collection, we're also seeing utilization of people's clothing. So it was a way to commemorate someone maybe that has passed away was using their clothing and cutting up the clothing and making out of them. Um, so it's really interesting to kind of work on a work like that because we have to take into consideration original staining as well. So maybe the stains came from the 
pants that were used. So we have to determine whether or not that's appropriate to remove or not, which in most cases it's not. So that's part of the artwork. Um, so there's a lot of kind of uh, questions and challenges we have to uh, determine and, and talk amongst ourselves and think ethically about. That collection is really spectacular and it's, it's quite, it was quite an honor to work on those quilts. So I will say that. How many uh, conservators are at the museum right now? So right now there's just, yeah, there's just three of us. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I specialize in fashion and textiles. My colleagues are both objects conservators okay. um, as an institution. And some many institutions do this as well. Um, we hire in contract conservators to work on other parts of the collection. So we have a paintings conservator that comes from Philadelphia. He comes about four times a year to look at our paintings and he'll stay for about a week and he'll do treatment here in our lab. And then um, we have a works on paper, uh, paper conservator who's out of Cleveland. Um, she comes frequently or we send things to her. So kind of hit all the specialties in some way, shape or form, or you know, we consult with specific individuals that not just a specialty in one area, but maybe like a subspecialty. So we had uh, a conservator come that helped look and treat our stained glass windows that we have. So there's a, like kind of a subspecialty within a specialty. Uh, so we often are reaching out to our colleagues at other institutions or, you know, other countries even. So to get their expertise on the works that we have. Wow. I love this. I think it's just so fascinating. Would, do you have any advice for anyone interested in either going into art conservation or just learning like more about the whole process? Well, I think it's great to kind of read up. The internet is a beautiful thing. So there's a lot of information out there regarding the profession. The one place I always tell people to go to is it's called culturalheritage.org. So that's our national organization. It's American Institute of Conservation. So there's tons of information there about the profession, about, you know, getting into the profession. Talking to conservators is always good too. So we're more than happy to answer questions, advice, you know, on getting into the profession. We all were there at one point. So we understand uh, the desire and interest and maybe sometimes how hard it can be to um, get the information or get moving in the profession. So I think, you know, going to exhibitions like this, where you can see kind of what that process looks like, what does a conservator do and how do we uh, work with artworks and how does that treatment process look like? And that's always really helpful. A lot of institutions have done something similar where they either have an art conservator you know, set up in the galleries working on a painting or, you know, exhibitions that kind of talk about a cleaning process or a treatment. Or, you know, here we had over one summer, I'm, time is a hard to <laughs> grasp sometimes. <laughs> um, but uh, we did this really amazing cleaning of our cloister. Emily Cummins, who is the assistant conservator of objects, she was really instrumental in leading that project, as well as Suzanne Hargrove, who's head of conservation here. And we invited the public to help us clean. So in instances like that, where you can be a part of something, even, you know, to even if it's something minor, but that really wasn't, we, you know, you were really helping. And so if you have an opportunity to kind of get your feet wet a little bit, I would go with that too. That would be, you know, in my early days, I would have jumped on that. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially the cloister is such a cool room, a cool space and yes. all the uh, items in that room are so 
old and it's just amazing that they're still there. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, that's one thing I think as art conservators that we're never, you know, not aware of kind of the um, awesomeness around being in the presence of these artworks and being able to have this kind of intimate relationship with them. It is something that's always on the forefront of our minds. And that's why we take so much care and time to consider what we're doing with them and, and how we're going to preserve them for the future. So everyone else can also enjoy them and learn from them. And, you know, so it's, it's nothing that's far from our minds either. I would freak out if I'm just like in the hands of like a famous <laughs> artwork. I can only imagine. I will say I've had those moments too where I'm like, wow, I can't believe I'm here right now. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, before we go, I want to ask you some rapid fire questions. It's probably the first one's probably hard, but what is your favorite period in art history? Ooh, that is hard. I'm partial from a fashion and textile standpoint to the latter half of the 19th through the early 20th century. So aesthetically, I just find it really beautiful and interesting. There's a lot of kind of changes in dyes, um, synthetic dyes come out, you know, in the latter half of the 19th century, you're getting different modes of modernity. So we're looking to the future of how we dress now. There's a lot of really interesting changes that happen right in that time period. So so I'm partial, I'm very partial to that, that time period. Also, I worked and I've done a lot of work on researching a specific designer from that time period. So that's probably also why I'm very interested. In Which designer? His name is Jacques Doucet. Um, he was a French couturier from the that time period. We have a collection of dolls here that is lovingly called the Libby dolls, but they were dressed by this designer. So I've done a, a lot of work around them and a lot of research. So I'm very much partial to this time period now. So <laughs> when I was in England for the summer, there was an exhibit at the uh, Victoria and Albert Museum. I think mm -hmm. it was that one about masculinity and like fashion masculinity. And it was amazing. It started from like the undergarments of men that they had to wear and then tuxedos and, and, and like royalty. And then now like they have a lot of suits in fashion now from actors who wore them in the Oscars and how that's shifted. And it is very about, interesting. Men's fashion is fascinating and how we've kind of changed so significantly from what once was to now where, you know, we see a lot of like blues and blacks and, you know, very muted tones, not to say that that's ch not changing now, but there's, you know, it was called the great male renunciation. So in the early part of the 19th century, there was a dramatic shift in male fashion, pink brocades, and then we move into blue suits. So, <laughs> um, but I feel like now contemporary fashion, we're really starting to move back into a more colorful color palette for our, our male friends. So this um, is hopefully there's a new resurgence. <laughs> this is like a off like a side question. Do you think um, fashion repeats itself? Actually, I do. I think in small ways, maybe not holistically. I definitely think there's a cyclical theme. The silhouette of the 1970s um, is very similar to the 1930s. Um, so much so that, you know, when women were going to Studio 54 and they couldn't afford the, the newest Halston, you know, dress 
oftentimes they would buy vintage 1930s garments to wear because the silhouette was so similar. So I think you see cyclical nature in fashion where you think will come back. Even thinking about, you know, the 90s and, you know, there's like psychedelic prints that were kind of coming out of the 1960s, but it was some a little bit meshed with this uh, beauty aesthetic from the 1920s almost. So, you, and you know, you throw in grunge and you know all <laughs> that too. So it's kind of like these little pockets kind of resurge in different ways. Cause I think we're always, and I think that's true anywhere. We're always like kind of looking to the past for inspiration and um, changes in uh, social, social culture um, is really through how you express yourself in your clothing, so. <sighs> I love it. I feel like I'm giving my own little like history <laughs> class. I love it. Um, next question, polka dots or stripes? Ooh, that's a good one. Probably stripes. I'm a big fan of stripes. I like stripes, but vertical stripes, not horizontal stripes. <laughs> what is your favorite piece at the Toledo Museum? Ooh, that's really tough. Um, Maybe I'll just tell it. I don't, it's hard to pick a favorite. I, and also I, you know, this museum has been part of my life for a very long time. So my favorites have changed over time. So I will tell you the one that was my favorite for the longest. How about that? When I was learning about art history and discovering museums, one of my favorite paintings is Ophelia by Arthur Hughes, which we have. It's a really beautiful depiction of Ophelia, which of course she is beautifully dressed as well. So I'm sure that was part of my draw to her. It changes each time I start working on a new project. Okay. I think there, there's so many interesting things about each work that I experience. Um, right now, I would say uh, Marisol Escobar's The Party that we have has been something I've been really inspired by. It was really amazing to work on and we will probably do more work with the piece in the future. I, I just find her such a fascinating individual and so forward thinking, but also very, she was, she was just a very interesting person. She was very quiet. She's kind of known for being quiet and um, very much an observer. So she would often kind of just observe her surroundings. And she learned a lot from her surroundings and you can see that kind of manifesting in her artwork. And she was very much just a fascinating person. And the way she you know, talks in many of her interviews is um, really kind of straight and to the point, but there's a little bit of sass in there, just a little bit. And I don't think it's supposed to be sass, but it's, it's really, it's very, I, I, I laugh every time I'm reading some sort of like interview that she's giving, but incredible artist, a very amazing artist. So what is Toledo's best kept secret? Ooh, best kept secret. Hmm. I would like to say the museum, but I don't think we're a secret. I think we're, you know, pretty well out there. You know, I might be biased in saying we have a pretty amazing textile collection, which you will see more of in the future. So I've been working with our curatorial team to get our collection in a displayable condition and looking through at it and learning more information about it and, and that kind of thing. Outside of the museum, I think, you know, 
I love this area for its nature kind of elements. The lakes, the rivers, our parks are amazing, you know, so those are always definitely something that drew me back to the area for sure. I was living in New York for graduate school, so quiet was really yeah. <laughs> highly desired. <laughs> oh yeah, and, I can imagine. Yeah, and you know, the park system is really amazing. You know, you're never too far from a park in Toledo. And I will say I've lived in Toledo all my life. And more recently, I have learned about parks I didn't know existed. So if that's anything, look up all the parks in Toledo because there's a bet there's a couple that you've not been to yet. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel like you could always find something new in Toledo that you just haven't crossed yes. your path yet. So absolutely. And that's the thing. I think you have to really kind of search a little bit in Toledo, which is kind of fun because some things are kind of a secret, but it makes it super exciting when you figure it out and, you know, um, come across those things. So, yeah. What do you like to do when you're not working at the museum and on art and everything? Well, parks are my big thing. So (laughs) I like to go to the park. Clearly I do a lot of um, going, you know, walking with friends or just trying to find new parks that I haven't been to yet. I like to travel quite a bit. So that is always something that's uh, in the forefront of my mind. And sometimes that crosses over with work and sometimes it doesn't. So that's, you know, I always try to take some sort of trip if I can each year to experience something new and, Mm -hmm. you know, go see other institutions and um, uh, just kind of experience other cultures and things like that. So those are kind of the two big things. And of course, like seeing friends and family and things like that. But those are kind of two of my main focuses. And then who or what inspires you? Ooh, you know, I think, I feel like everything can inspire me in some way. I often find myself inspired by very little things. I think I have a tendency to find beauty in the details. So, and I think that's probably also part of being a conservator because <laughs> we're constantly looking at the details, but I think there's just really moments of beauty and very tiny things, always kind of paying attention to those things. maybe just like how the light comes into a room or just little tiny things. I think those things inspire me. How uh, artists make and construct and their methodology. It's just so fascinating sometimes when you're like, wow, I can't believe like all these years ago, they understood how to do this or you know, us trying to create something like this now would just be, you know, how many machines and things like that would be needed to kind of mass produce something like this when they created this beautiful thing with their hands. That's really inspiring, I think. Who is your favorite artist? Oh my gosh, that's really hard. Um, or as a, your current favorite. <laughs> yeah, that changes like every day. Um, Again, Marisol is really high up on my list at the moment. You know, Elsa Scaparelli, a fashion designer, very much influenced by uh, surrealism and those early movements, Um, just incredible works that really think outside of the box. Recently, I saw the show in Paris and it was just amazing and beautiful. So, you know, it, it really changes. Bisa Butler is very high up there too. You know, her work is incredible and I just... Every time I follow her on Instagram, I'm just like, what is she doing now? What is she like? Show me everything. (laughs) So it's really exciting to see the, you know, new artists too, that are using, you know, these traditional kind of methods to create contemporary work, which is really exciting too. So love her work. I'm just obsessed right now. So (laughs) 
make me want to go to the museum now. <laughs> yes, come visit. <laughs> I always like to go by myself so I can like walk and look around. And I have my favorite rooms and my favorite um, pieces I have to stop by. Oh, good. What, what's your favorite room? <sighs> okay, as far as there's just, too like, many to choose from. <laughs> as far as like the room itself, I love the red, the red room with the. Yes. Room. That's just, I also, um, oh, what is it? It's like, like the architect's dream in there. It's like, I really like the small, I don't know what's called, but it's like um, a little theater and it's like really, oh, what's it called? It's like a little, it's like in that same room or the room next to it. It's like a little painting of like a theater and the lights, it's, it's dark in there and the lights just pop out from the little sign in the theater. I like that one a lot too. I can't think of what that one is, but. Really small. Oh, what is it called? I don't you know which gallery you're talking about. I, it's actually right outside of this room. So I'm going to go look. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I will go find it and I will go, oh yeah, that's it. <laughs> our beautiful American galleries. So that's, those are those two galleries over there. Yep. So our, our conservation lab is uh, adjacent to those. So oh, okay. we walk through those all the time. So I'm surprised I'm not remembering which one you're talking about, <laughs> but um, we see them quite frequently. So, but we have been rotating things. So uh, I've noticed, maybe, I was like, okay. maybe it won't be up. Well, thank you for coming on and for sharing everything about art conservation. It was really nice to listen to you and just get like a little history too behind some of the art and the artists because that's always important to know. Yeah, of course. Yep. That's what we're here for. So <laughs> you can follow Marissa on Instagram at, I love this by the way, you said seamstress for the band. I think that's great, but seamstress underscore and the number four underscore the underscore band. Mm -hmm. I just kind of stay updated on what you're doing and things. Definitely check out the Toledo Museum. The hours, you close Monday and Tuesday, yes. but you're open mm -hmm. um, Sunday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 11 to 5, mm -hmm. and then Friday and Saturday, 11 to 8. Yes. Yes. And then admission is free. You just got to pay for parking. Yeah. Yes. Admission yes. is free. That's a big deal. So come visit us. Yes. And thank you to everyone who's been listening in and stay tuned for another episode next month.